because everybody's different. Everybody's got a different set of circumstances to go from. And uh, But I, I think it's possible for everybody, whether they want to live tiny to live tiny or whether they want to travel, um, whatever it is, you know, I, I just try to help answer the questions to get you going on the path because I think that's important. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 60 with Macy Miller. Macy was actually my first ever guest on the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, and I asked her back on the show because after over 40,000 miles of traveling in her homemade travel trailer with her two kids, partner, and a dog, Macy has created an online course to help others learn how to live the mobile lifestyle. I asked her back on the show to talk about the course and update us on her tiny lifestyle. It's always great to catch up with Macy, and I think there's something to learn in this interview for everyone. And if you're interested in checking out Macy's full-time RV travel course, she's offering it for just 10 bucks for listeners to the podcast. Well, $9.99 to be exact. Head over to thetinyhouse.net slash RV travel. That's thetinyhouse.net slash the letters RV travel, all lowercase, all one word. All right, I am here with Macy Miller. Macy graduated with a master's degree in architecture in 2007 and has devoted her career to sustainable design and instruction. She is a lead accredited professional with a passion for education. As a project, she started the design and construction of her 196 square foot tiny house in 2011 and has been living tiny with her family ever since. Macy's home has been featured in Dwell Magazine, Time Magazine, on Yahoo, and various other sites internationally. Since completing her own home, she has stayed very involved in the tiny house community and strives to help to empower others to be able to take on the same challenges. In 2016, Macy and her family downsized yet again to take life on the go. After rebuilding a 1966 travel trailer to suit their needs, they set off on a national park road trip. 40,000 plus miles later, they are helping others figure out how to do the same. Macy Miller, welcome to the show. Well, hey, I sound so cool. <laughs> I know. You've got an impressive bio. And you I also, I mean, the, the most impressive thing is that you were the very first guest on the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Isn't that funny? Yeah. That's my claim to fame right there. Yeah. That, that should be really the lead of your bio, I think. <laughs> Before the lead stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'll put that first. The last time we spoke, I think you were on the road. Um, are you still traveling right now? I am sitting in the very same spot in the very same camper. <laughs> um, we've taken some detours, though. We uh, we wrapped up our national park, the, the first leg of our national park tour, and we went back to Boise um, for a few months. But we are actually on the road. We've been back on the road for the last two weeks now, um, trying to find a new home base. And I think I found one. I put an offer in on a property. And uh, so that's what we're doing. We're just touring around waiting to sign the paperwork. That's awesome. And, and then our tiny house gets a new home. So 
were you asked to leave your current parking spot for your for your big house, quote unquote, your your big tiny house? My big tiny house? Not exactly. Um, so we were getting ready to go on this road trip. Um, and uh, I got a code violation um, because there was some construction stuff happening in our neighborhood and some developers came through the neighborhood and somebody complained about the tiny house. And so they had no choice but to ping me. And it just kind of opened up an opportunity to go talk to them about it, um, which was very timely. So we started this, that all happened right around the same time we were working. I was working with Andrew and Gabriella um, to write in the tiny house appendix into the international residential code. And so I kind of got to update them about that. They gave me permission to stay there until we took off on the road trip. And then they gave me permission to let the house just store there while we were gone. And then come back and work it out. And they were, they promised like they're going to work on these issues too and come back with the game plan once we got back from our trip. But once we were on our trip, we were kind of like, well, let's get a new game plan. We're kind of, we didn't like the traffic and congestion of being in cities and even Boise, it's a small city, but it's, it's growing immensely. And so we kind of decided on our own that we need to find a new home base. Um, and we kind of picked places out along the way. You know, we traveled the lower 48 states and, and we ended up finding a place in North Idaho. And then we've just kind of been searching for property, found one. And, and then we're kind of moving on our own up there. Just it's a I feel kind of bad because I, I have an opportunity to work this through in not a huge urban city, but a notable one. Boise's made a lot of headlines lately. And they're open to the opportunities tiny houses, you know, solve um, problems they solve. And, and there's a housing crisis there and um, they see the benefits and they really just need somebody to kind of carry it through. And I feel bad that we're kind of jumping ship on it when it's primed, but also family first, right? Yeah, I mean, you don't have to be the one. You were kind of a pioneer in, in building a tiny house and, and documenting it. So you've helped a lot of people that way. Um Sounds like the door is open in Boise, but you might not be the one to walk through it. Yeah, and I, I am happy to help and coach along the way with what I've learned and who I've worked with. And, you know, it's it's ready, but we're moving on <laughs> from there. But the good news is I've I've we're still staying in Idaho. So we got the tiny house appendix approved in the state of Idaho at the state level. And the property we found also happens to be in Idaho. Um, and so I've been working with the new county that we're going to, and they're very excited to have our tiny house go north. And um, we've talked about all our future plans, and they're totally on board and excited. They say it sounds super fun. And um, so I'm excited for going forward. It's not like I just bailed ship completely. We're still going to live into our tiny house and still in Idaho. It's just not as notable of an urban area. So it might not be directly applicable for other urban areas. Well, that's great. So did you kind of shop for a town or an area based on the laws that they had? Or did you did you primarily go by, you know, a place you might like to live and then worked to convince them? Yeah, I didn't count on the tiny house at all. I, I figure I can work to change somebody's mind. What we shopped for, we liked, we wanted a university town. Actually, Burlington was on our list. Um just for the influx of the younger generation, you kind of stay, you know, keep your finger on the pulse of where society is going. You know, uh, we really wanted to be in a college town, um, but we also didn't want the traffic that usually goes along with that. So we we had kind of a short list of a few 
areas. Um, the one we picked is Moscow, Idaho, um, and it's where James and I both went to school for architecture. So we're familiar with the town. It's absolutely gorgeous on the Palouse. Um, it's as pretty as any national park we've been to. Um, and it just kind of checked. We did not anticipate we would pick anywhere in Idaho when we set off on that trip, but it checked every box we had. So we we're like, well, we'll make this work. That's awesome. When is, well, I guess it's it's premature because you've just put an offer in on the, on the property. Yeah, well, so we have an offer in. They've ex, uh, they countered offered us. We accepted their counter offer. So we're under contract. We're in, actually, today's the last day of our inspection period, and we're supposed to close on Friday. Um, they have one more lingering. They have to do a perk test so that we can actually get a septic system and everything in there. But it's totally raw land. Now I'm terrified because we have to bring power to it. We have to dig a well. We have to do a septic and like all these things I've never done before. It's yet another terrifying door to open. But we'll figure it out one step at a time, right? <laughs> yeah. If if there's anything I know about you from following your journey is that you are not afraid to take on. I never know what I'm doing. You never know what you're doing, <laughs> but yet you do such a good job. Well, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. We we have massive failures too, but we don't. You don't blog don't about those this. ones. <laughs> nah, we're we're pretty lucky. So. When you do move the tiny house, are you planning to stay put for a while? Or is this more just you need a place to stick the house and you're going to go back on the road? Um, well, traveling will, we've determined traveling will be a part of our future always. Um, but we're, we kind of want more routes. Um, I'm planning on it's moving to its final resting place. Uh, we're, we picked a property as a project. So I, it's, 5.7 acres um, and it's a really weird topography it's got a perfect spot for a tiny house with a beautiful view um, but James and I plan to build other alternative structures kind of like with the background in architecture both of our interest is kind of in alternative construction tiny houses are very standard construction just on an alternative foundation but where our passion really is, is like straw bale houses, cob houses, earth bag houses. We want to build a houseboat. We have a, a 0.7 acre pond and we totally plan to put a houseboat on it um, and just kind of have a testing facility for various types of housing that are available and out there. Um, and and something that people could come and experience them if they want, or you know, I could get some experts and host a workshop where there's a lot of different options for people to see kind of side by side. And so the property is kind of a 30 year plan for us, but it is the resting place of our tiny house for sure. It's stressful to move those things, <laughs> especially one as big as mine. <laughs> yeah, yours and yours is a gooseneck, correct? Yeah, yeah, mine's gooseneck. It's it's a 24 nine foot gooseneck now that we've built out the patio but that's it's a pretty sizable house really not not at all like our camper our little 80 square foot camper and do you plan to tow it yourself or will you hire a mover oh we'll hire a mover i don't want to deal with that <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, was... I have a hard enough time pulling our little camper so it's stressful I believe it. I, I've, you know, I'm working slowly on the second edition of of my book, Tiny House Decisions, and I'm adding like a whole section on living tiny. And I, I was actually working on the towing section this morning, and 
technically you're supposed to have a commercial driver's license to tow anything over 10,000 pounds. In your state. That varies from state to state, but a lot of the East Coast, you do have to have a special okay. license. For some reason, I thought that was a fed that was at the federal level, but maybe states are able to kind of knock that up or down. Yeah, and it's universally kind of like thirteen six is the universal height that you right. have to stay under. The universal weight is twenty six thousand pounds. So if you're over twenty six thousand pounds, you need a a class C or D or whatever it is okay. license. But some states lower that for travelers. Yeah, some states that have more people, I would imagine they they want less they want less inexperienced people towing ten thousand pounds. Yeah. Well and the the infrastructure back east is way different than like when we drove back east, we were blown away. You can just like come upon a ten foot bridge. That doesn't happen in the West. <laughs> we're the the infrastructure is designed for today's vehicles over here and over there. You get surprises. So um I imagine that plays into that limitation as well yeah so in our in our first interview all the way back to episode one we kind of talked about your your camper trailer and your mobile lifestyle and now you have put your years of knowledge on that project into a course um tell tell us about it yeah, that's kind of how I work. I want to do something, and then if I like it, I share it with others. <laughs> so um, we have thoroughly enjoyed traveling, and it's tricky. It's a different, just like living tiny, it's a different lifestyle choice, and it doesn't come with the same sets of decisions that you make, like something as simple as how do you bank when you're not near your credit union, you know? Um, there's all of the decisions that we either planned for or figured out along the way we kind of just threw them all together i say we james was supposed to work on it with me but he has an his own business so it was it was me um i put together a course that was all of the decisions and that we had to make and things we found out the hard way along the way um to try to make it a little bit easier for other people to be able to make the same sort of lifestyle choice because it's um, it was awesome and we're very excited to get out and do it again we need to get a few other things figured out for the tiny house and sell some property and stuff. But um, it's everything that you can do to hopefully, like from work, how to handle relationships in 80 square feet, you know. Um, not that you have to be in 80 square feet. That's our choice. doesn't have to be anyone else's. Um, but those those things along the way, how do you handle health insurance on the road? Um what about pets? What if you go somewhere where pets aren't allowed and it's hot outside? You know, what can you do um, so you're not limited in a way? But it's all those things we just kind of put together and, and hopefully they can help other people nice. do cool things. Maybe I don't want to have you give away everything in the course, um, but maybe you could uh, tell me about a couple of the things that you were surprised by or that, you know, that you found out along the way that you weren't expecting. I don't feel like we, well, the banking one kind of surprises a lot of people. Like when, once you get out of your territory, you start getting fraud charges um, and then your bank will shut down your card, you know, and then you're just out and about without money. Um, so one of our workarounds that we thought worked really well for that was PayPal. We opened up a, a PayPal uh, kind of joint account and then you can transfer money seamlessly between whatever bank you have 
and your PayPal. And then we're also able to limit our balance on our PayPal card. So if we got it lost or stolen, they don't have access to all of our funds. You know, they have 500 bucks or whatever. Um, but also PayPal uh, monitors everything for you. So like we were, I think after our discussion, after the last recording, um, we went to Meza Verde and somebody had taken James's card. And so we were out of internet signal all day hanging out in Mesa Verde. And we came back and we just got email notification after email notification that somebody's spending a bunch of our money in Chicago. Um, and we're like, mm, we're not in Chicago. <laughs> Who's, what's this? You know. And so we called them up and they shut it down and they refunded our money. And it's just like a bank, but it's it was very convenient for our mobile lifestyle. It kind of was a an extra check for us. Um, and that was super handy. But I know banking is a hard part for a lot of people. Um, and it's a, it's that's just kind of a way to make it seamless for you. Yeah. And what about the what about the mail? Uh, that's kind of a, a head scratcher for me. Yeah, that's a great question. So my first you know recommendation is always to minimize it. How how many things a year do you get that are necessary, Ethan? <laughs> like in the mail? Not too um, many. Really, probably just the tack. You know the the ten ninety nines. Yep. That's that's and those you can even have emailed to yep. you in most cases. Particular, I mean, you emailed me a ten ninety nine. It's true. I apologize. <laughs> so, no, it's it's. I like it. <laughs> I don't do mail, um, but there's a website you can go to to minimize all your junk mail, and there's ways to return to sender until they stop sending you stuff. So always, you know, and it's a process. It could take like six months to get through to some companies to stop sending you stuff. Um, but it's better for our planet. And honestly, I I don't like getting it anyway. So a long time ago, I minimized all my mail, but we had to go through the process again with James's mail. Um, and then there's services you can either buy. Um, there's one through Good Sam membership that you can pay like, it's, I think it was $15 a month. Uh, but if you get important mail, it might be worthwhile. We opted to have it sent to a family member's house. And then if something looked important, they would call us. That happened exactly zero times in 13 months. Uh, we never once got an important thing in the mail. Um, that is kind of an annoyance for a family member. Some people refuse to do that because it's not their job that you want to travel, you know. But it really wasn't worth paying $15 a month for us either to have a mail service. But with the mail service, you just have your mail redirected to them. They open it, they you scan it, and they send it to you, and they throw it away. So that's your day-to-day -day mail. Any packages? Um, Amazon lockers are awesome. Anything we ordered off of Amazon, we could have sent to a locker wherever we were at and go pick it up. Those actually came out while we were on our trip. And so a few times we were the very first people to use their Amazon locker. And like the employees, there's an Amazon locker in every Whole Foods. And then a lot of other places have Amazon lockers. Um, and it's just a way that you can order something from Amazon and have it shipped if you don't have an address. And then you're emailed a code, you go to the locker and you punch in the code and your package comes out. Um, super easy. But a lot of times the employees were like, how do you use these? You know, and so we're like given a tutorial on the Amazon lockers. Um, but then also you can have any packages from anywhere shipped to any campground if you know you're going to go through an area you know, just set it up to have it shipped there. And, and they're very used to that happening. Um, so it, it we didn't have any problem getting packages or, or mail whatsoever. But there's solutions for people who have more important mail than we do, for sure. Yeah, it seems like the 
the internet age is is just ideal for this kind of mobile lifestyle. It really opens up a lot of possibilities. Definitely. Absolutely. I don't know, just GPS wise, I don't know how people did road trips before. <laughs> like I, I, I would fail with a map, like a hard paper map. <laughs> or one of those like old school GPS things that you have to put the address in backwards. Like you start with the country yeah. and then the state and then the city. Yeah. It, those things never made yeah. sense to me. Yeah, no. <laughs> but now it's just, and you know, in the, in the course I talk about some of the really useful apps we uh, use also in Waze. We much preferred Waze over uh, Google Maps. Like we were in New Orleans for um, Mardi Gras and we wanted to go to one particular parade, which was supposedly super family friendly. And so we, it was on the other side of town and we had to reroute. I mean, New Orleans has like 50 parades going on on Mardi Gras and we had to route our way all the way around all of those parades um, and Waze is a kind of a real time navigation. You know, it's it, had we just done Google Maps, it would have taken us through all of these other parade routes. But Waze routed us all the way around each and every one of them and got us right to where we wanted to be. And I was like, now I'm sold on Waze. <laughs> if it can route around Mardi Gras parades. I'm looking at the curriculum for the full time RV travel course and it like it really hits on so many different different things i'm I'm like i want to ask you about all of them but i also want people to like take the course um but i'm just going to be selfish because i'm going to ask things that are <laughs> challenging for me and see what i can learn cool. so i like it um eating well um that caught my eye because i really struggle and i don't go on long road trips but even if i'm just doing a long drive i always forget to like pack healthy food and end up eating like a burrito from the microwave at a Wawa. Um, <laughs> I didn't even know what a Wawa was. Oh, until, until you came to the East Coast? Ho hopefully now you know <laughs> yeah. what it is. I was like, Wawa? What is that? <laughs> it's an amazing convenience store for those who are not on the East Coast. Yes. No, we dug them. <laughs> um, yeah, it's super easy when your kitchen's right behind you. It becomes a challenge to do any sort of fast food because parking a camper at a Wawa is not an easy task. And so it immediately is like, well, I don't want to deal with that. I'll just pull over and make some food. You know, it's fast food is not fast if you're towing something behind you. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was like the best tip ever or the best like, benefit i guess it's it's not convenient to do convenience food but grocery stores have big parking lots that are really easy to park in uh -huh. so let's just pull over and get some fruit you know yeah um it actually became a lot easier to make healthier choices and did you have or do you have like constant refrigeration in the camper or you do you go with the cooler and ice block kind of thing no we we do have a refrigerator and that's one of the safety tips I talk about. A lot of people don't know if you should travel with the refrigerator on or off. Um, most accidents where you see like an RV in flames, it's because they traveled with their propane on. So always shut it off. It's just not worth it. And any refrigerator or icebox or whatever, it's an insulated box. So you get it cold, you pack it with food, and then you travel. And we didn't have like nine hour days of travel, you know, when you're doing an extended road trip, we kind of tried to keep it to, 
I don't know, one to maybe four hours max in the car, you know, but usually it was one or two driving days. And it's an insulated box. It'll keep things cold if when it's off for two hours or four hours. Um, but don't travel with propane on <laughs> if that's an option. Ice boxes work well. We didn't want to deal with the mess of, you know, melted water. And I don't know, it just seemed too cumbersome for us, but they do work really well. That's the usual choice in an event RV, but we actually upgraded to a used propane refrigerator. So, so we didn't have to deal with that. There are like really expensive DC fridges and some of the propane yeah. models can run on DC as well. So I suppose if you had yeah. a really long day, you could, Ours is both. you could draw off the battery and keep it cold. Ours is both. It's just kind of like a heat source. Like refrigerators work kind of the same as a heater and they draw a lot of energy. Um, so it's not like we only use the electric when we're when we have hookups for electric but the propane refrigerator is actually very efficient um you would think it would eat through you know a 20 pound tank of propane like nothing but it's just a tiny little pilot light uh, it's way more efficient on propane than electric but if we're paying for electric hookups anyways we're going to save the propane right right but you could um you just have to make sure your battery bank is big enough ours is dinky um, and have solar or whatever as you go. Otherwise, you'll get where you're going with no battery. Right. You don't want to run out of battery while you're while you're driving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really not a big deal. Refrigerators are very efficient if the door is closed. And when you're traveling like that, it's not like you're opening the door. Right. So it should stay cold and be fine for, for mm -hmm. a good amount of time. Yeah. How about like kids and school? I know your kids are both pretty young, so maybe not quite like in grade school yet, but I'm guessing they, you give them some kind of school while they're on the road. My kids are sponges. They soak up the world. Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I hide from this question a lot. This is like my next scary thing that I don't want to hear criticism on, but it's uh, the kids schooling. Um, kids are amazing little sponges and just being out and about in the world my kids know, I mean, if you have school age kids, there are options. And I do talk about that in the course too, the options that we will take. We're probably going to homeschool our kids at least for the first five or six years. Um, but just being in the world, there's so many opportunities. Every national park, most state parks, they have what they call a junior ranger program, which are better than any school book I've ever seen because they task you with going out and engaging in the real world um, and then coming back. And you basically, the kids present that information back to the rangers. And so there's real accountability from the kids. You know, they don't want to mess up or whatever. And, and so they do a really good job for the rangers. Um, and then they're rewarded. They get this little junior ranger badge that says they've passed, you know, basically. Um, but there's opportunities everywhere. And those are, you know, my kids, when we left, were, well, I think Miles was just two. But they're they're three and five now. And there was plenty of those opportunities for them that young. But mostly they target kids, you know, six to 18. Um, but they have different levels uh, to engage different kids at their different levels. Um, it's usually based on age, but you can pick that. Um, but there's there's just so many opportunities and just out and exploring the world is an education you don't get inside of a classroom. So while it's different, it's still valid. 
Totally. No, no criticism for me. Yeah, I don't think you would. I just, I shudder when I, when my kids become school age, you know, you don't have to do anything until they're seven in Idaho. <laughs> ah, all right. So you got a couple of years yet. So I've been putting this off, but actually you do have to explain to people now why my kid's not in kindergarten yet. So that door is opening ever so slowly. <laughs> <laughs> How do you decide where to go? I mean, it seems like, well, I know that you did a national parks tour. Are you going to do more national parks or do you have like a new theme or a new it didn't start off as a national park tour actually we um in in north dakota of all places we were so distracted you know our plan i had to our mission was actually where we met you to get over to deke's uh workshop uh by i think it was october september where whenever it was and so we had this place we had to be and we were stuck in North Dakota because there was so much interesting stuff that we wanted to do. And so we found, it doesn't that sound funny in North Dakota, but uh, there was so much going on around there that we were like, we just have to say no to some things. And that was kind of when we were like, we need we need a mission. Like, let's do national parks. The, the ones we'd been to were so awesome, those. So we decided that's our mission. And if we're going to make it to Deke's workshop, then we got to keep trucking. <laughs> and so that's where we came up with that. In the future, we've talked about, you know, when the kids are nine or 10, um, doing like a battlefield tour and, and going back on the East Coast and kind of seeing all these historic places that we just don't really have as much of mm, over here yeah. in the West. But um, we kind of found out early on, you need a mission to go with. Otherwise, you're going to just... I we could live in Nebraska probably for months and find all kinds of interesting things. Um, but setting kind of a mission helped us, I don't know, go forth, I guess, but it'll change whatever it is. Sometime like when we're old and retired, James and I want to do a food mission because food is so good. <laughs> why, why when you're retired? That sounds good now. Cause our kids are picky eaters oh. and it's not fun to go to restaurants with them. <laughs> so when they're out on their own, we're going to do food. <laughs> okay. Okay. Or you'll just hope maybe their taste buds will expand and they'll be willing to go with yeah, you. Yeah, it's not happening. They're my kid. I was picky until I was broke in college and then I eat anything. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's how it goes. Yeah, it's life, but it's it's fun. It, it'll be fun. It's something to look forward to in retirement, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of kids, how about like medical care on the road? That is another great question. So our medical system in the U.S. is pretty screwed up. No, Macy, it's the best in the world. I know, right? <laughs> Surprise. Uh, it's really hard, actually. That was one of the most challenging parts. But um, we had to buy health insurance. This is one of my soapboxes. I try not to get on too much either. But um, James and I are not married by choice. Uh, and so we're not, and we're both self-employed. So our employer doesn't, we're not spouses. We don't count for each other, um, which means we can't be on the same health insurance plan in Idaho. So I have to pay for a separate one and then he has to pay for a separate one. And then since the kids were, um, he's grandfathered in, in an old plan that's much cheaper than his options would be. So he can't add the kids to that one. Um, but I 
can't add the kids to him if he wants to claim them. It, it's very complicated. We ended up having to have three separate health insurance plans. The kids had their own max out-of-pocket and max deductible. I have my own max out-of-pocket and deductible. And then James has his. And we weren't even in network, but we would be penalized if we didn't buy that. So actually, our biggest bill on this whole trip, $900 a month, was for health insurance that did absolutely nothing for us. Um, it hurt. It hurt a lot. But that's kind of one of the things of living in this country that we you deal with, you know. Um, but by far, that was our biggest expense, and it didn't even count towards anything. We're very lucky that we're healthy, um, and we just thought it was worth the risk to do that anyways. James does have a few medications that we had to pick up along the way. So he, before we left, we talked with his doctor um, and just kind of let him know if we call you from Alabama, you know, this is why. This is a thing we're doing, and it's not weird. Um, and then we switched all his prescriptions over to a nationwide pharmacy so they could just transfer them in between. Uh, and that was seamless. You know, it, it worked out pretty well. Just about a week before he needed a refill or something, we'd call someplace where we were going and that became a stop for us. Um, kids wise, uh, we did all of their doctor checkups before we left. We talked to their doctor for the same reason. Uh, just if anything happened and they needed because they have a primary care physician. Uh, and everything has to be ordered for them by her. And so we talked to her and, and got it all lined out. Nothing ever happened. Um, the worst that happened was just after I saw you in Vermont, I got an ear infection on our way to Maine. And there's not a lot of doctors up that way. So we did eventually find an urgent care and got everything handled. Um, but also, there's a lot of tech opportunities coming out and uh, Teladoc is a company that you can meet with a doctor on your cell phone basically. Nice. And they're able to provide you, you know, they can prescribe you medication, they can diagnose you and and everything and it costs 50 bucks. It's like going to an urgent care in your pocket. For a lot cheaper than an urgent so, care. Yep. Yep. Definitely. <laughs> and they don't charge you if they can't diagnose you. So it's, you know, simple, simple deal. That's nice. Yeah. So what is your next building project? You mentioned that you're really interested in straw bale. Do you think that'll be the first thing that you undertake? No. No? <laughs> no, that's... So James and I, that's something we both want, a straw bale house eventually. Um, and so that one will actually probably take the longest because we want to make sure we design it exactly right for us. Two architects, um, I can only wanted... imagine that that's like... Yeah. That could take... A long time. Don't get any high expectations. <laughs> <laughs> it's still going to be a pretty tiny house. But um, no, we, well, the, the actual next one, I, I'm going to build a workshop hopefully this summer if I can close Friday. Um, and our workshop will become kind of the workshop to build all these. So we have covered space to, to work on these things, um, the non-earth-bound ones. Do you think you'll go but with like a traditional building, know. like a stick framed building or are you going to try something no. something weird for for the workshop something weird uh well no 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 the workshop will be normal just like a post and beam building something cheap cheap shelter that we can work in it won't be insulated or anything like that just basically a snow shelter to build in because we're moving to even more snow country um than we already deal with but um, just something to give us a dry, safe place to build in. Um, but from there, we don't know. We're we're so torn. 
Um, we both really are antsy to build a houseboat, <laughs> so that might get up the list. Do you have a favorite houseboat that you've been nope. looking at? No? Nope, not even. I did see the latest, they, there's a second issue of Tiny House Magazine that came out, the hard copy, uh, and I saw they highlighted a houseboat in there. And so I'm going to read that more. I haven't read it yet. I have it sitting in my car seat, but we've been occupied. But uh, no, I don't know. I don't really research a lot. I've never been that sort of person. Just enough to know that it's okay what I'm doing. It's not too weird, you know, Um, that other people have done it. That gives me the confidence to go forward. But I find that if I look at too many designs, it kind of alters my designs. And I don't like that. So I try not to do that. (laughs) Yeah, it's also easy to get talked out of doing something if you spend too much time researching it. That's totally true. Yeah, absolutely. But no, we'll figure it out. That's one thing we we can do. I don't know how it will play until it's done most of the time. Well, I think that's a good good way to live your life, to kind of just say, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but we're going to try. Yeah. It makes people uncomfortable sometimes to live that way, but it's worked out pretty well for us so far. (laughs) Our parents are both like, what are you guys doing? (laughs) But also when we come back, they're jealous. So, so far it's okay. Yeah. And it seems like you are like, you've ticked all the boxes that they like, they really don't have anything to complain about because you're like, you're healthy you like you have children. That's something that like grandparents always want. Um, you know, like are you feeling pressured? Even? Oh, yeah, of course. And I, <laughs> my parents do listen to this show, so hi, Ethan's parents. Hey, you guys are on notice. Um, <laughs> you got to be careful. If if we have some kids, awesome. we might just take off and go on the road. My parents are actually on a road trip right now. They're driving. Oh, good for them. Yeah, they actually just got stuck in Oklahoma. There was, like, supposed to be, like, monster tornadoes. Yep. This is a bad time of year to go through there. Yeah. Yeah, they needed your course before they set off in in their (laughs) Volkswagen Jetta RV. I I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes it's better just to do it. (laughs) I asked you in episode one, you know, what are some resources that helped you for your tiny house I'm curious if there were any books or people or even though you just told me that you don't like to research things, what are some resources that helped you out like in learning how to live this mobile lifestyle? Goodness. I don't know. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of great people out there. Most like I'll just say we met less junk, more journey on the road and they were awesome. We didn't really know much about them until we met them in a park. and they were super cool and they put out a lot of really great resources. I don't know that we've ever, you know, dug into them or anything like that. James and I are both kind of just go and figure it out people. We we prefer to learn things the long way, which is where the name of our Instagram came from. <laughs> um, so it's, it, I mean, we try not to scare ourselves away by digging too deeply, but I don't know. There's, all you have to do is Google and you can find a lot of great resources. I just say them because they were really nice, sweet people. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess you, that you have become a resource for people. So yeah, ho- hopefully I can help people. And I don't know if it's not helpful, people can leave me reviews or write me emails and I'll fix it until it is. <laughs> That's kind of my philosophy. So sometimes you don't even know what questions are being asked, you know, and I, I try to just, 
when people do ask me questions, I kind of bookmark that. And then that's something I can think of on how to find an answer. But I don't know if my courses answer all the uh, the questions, but I am a resource for people and I'm very accessible via those courses. Um, and so I try to always update them and, and keep them relevant and helpful to anybody who is going this path, you know. Um, it's really just kind of I'm opening the door to interaction. And if there's any questions after taking that course, I'm always here and happy to help figure out the, the answers and the reasons why, you know. Because everybody's different. Everybody's got a different set of circumstances to go from. And uh, But I, I think it's possible for everybody, whether they want to live tiny, to live tiny, or whether they want to travel, um, whatever it is, you know, I, I just try to help answer the questions to get you going on the path, because I think that's important. Well, I think we should leave it there. Macy Miller, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. You too. <laughs> Thank you, Ethan. You can find the show notes from today's episode, including photos of Macy's homemade travel trailer, Macy's tiny house, and many other resources at thetinyhouse.net slash 060. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 060. And don't forget to check out Macy's full-time RV travel course at thetinyhouse.net slash RV travel. In the course, she teaches you to be able to take actionable steps to prepare for a mobile lifestyle, where to find location-independent income, health insurance, mail and banking options, and how to travel safely, solo, coupled, and or with kids and pets. Macy is offering the course for just $9.99 for listeners of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Make sure you go to thetinyhouse.net slash rvtravel to learn more. All right, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.